the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. For this week's message, which was originally given on March 28, 2021, Pastor Emma Peterson delivers a message called Soul Work. What are you called to heal and grow beyond in this lifetime? In early March of this year, Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan Markle, formerly the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, sat down for an interview with Oprah. The interview was historic because it was the first time the couple had sat down with the public and had a candid, honest conversation about what their lives were like as members of the royal family in the three years since they were married. Meghan Markle is Black and her marriage to Prince Harry coaxed centuries-long racist undercurrents to the surface of British culture and the monarchy itself. Not at all surprising that a system built on the colonizing of Black nation-states would experience a racist conniption when a Black woman married her way into royalty. The experience for Markle herself was deeply traumatic, isolating and humiliating, The coverage of Markle in the British press was particularly cruel and overtly racist, and the support from the institution of the monarchy itself was truly next to nothing. She bravely disclosed to Oprah that she had endured and survived suicidal thinking. Prince Harry's marriage to Meghan Markle and the subsequent abuse hurled at her by the press and the couple's ultimate decision to leave the royal family entirely is the most destabilizing thing to occur within the royal family since Princess Diana died at the hands of reckless and aggressive paparazzi. The exit of the Duke and Duchess has international implications, and it has the potential to alter the forward course of the British monarchy forever. It's a big deal, but what I think is an even bigger deal is the courage and the personal strength Prince Harry himself. With the support of his spouse and from the sounds of his ability to self-reflect an intensive amount of therapy and healthy processing, he relinquished a role his lineage faded him to, and in so doing, he took control of years of generational trauma. Prince Harry identified his familial patterns and recognized the way the actions and choices and behaviors of his family of origin continued to play out and cause harm within his own nuclear family. And he chose to break the cycle. And that is a big, big deal. Every family, regardless of their overall functionality, regardless of race or socioeconomic status or domestic configuration, every family has secrets and patterns of behavior or significant events that if not addressed, get passed through the generations like an heirloom. This is called generational trauma and identifying your own family's generational trauma, recognizing its impact on your own life 
and discerning how best to address it, whether through therapy, writing, ritual, or some combination thereof, can offer you immense healing in your life now. Acknowledging your own family's history while recognizing that there will always be unknowable things and that often secrets themselves contribute to our generational trauma can be an important component in discerning what you most need to heal from in your own life. Prince Harry has begun the work of addressing his generational trauma. All of this is about soul work. Soul work is the celestial term for determining your most essential healing, whether it comes from your past and continues to impact your life today, or it connects to a larger pattern of some sort and addressing it in the present time in order to allow your soul to depart your body at the end of its days, unburdened by what hurt it most in its lifetime. In the months that have followed the death of my dog, Roberta, I found myself contesting with some persistent whisperings that I give fresh consideration to my spiritual conception of the universe. It's lofty work, and sometimes it makes me feel like I'm going a bit bananas, but over the last several years, and with a bit more intensity over the last few months, I've been thinking about what might happen after we die. And obviously, I have absolutely no idea. All any of us have is theories, if we're being honest with ourselves. I personally have always been drawn to the possibility of reincarnation. We're made of energy, and we know that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It's a closed loop cycle. When we die, the energy of ourselves, the stuff of whatever makes us who we are, returns in ways organic and I believe divine to the source of all of the collective energy of the universe. And then at some point, perhaps, the energy of what we once were cycles back again, breathed into new life. Perhaps the material of the soul remains intact and it enters into a new body, a new lived human experience whenever it is ready and able to do so. Perhaps I'm coming to consider we've all lived thousands, some of us millions of incarnations. That's where the phrase old soul comes from. Perhaps our souls have lived countless experiences over millennia, and at the conclusion of each lifetime, a soul contributes its lived experience back to the one great consciousness that is all creation. It is in this way, perhaps, that the creator or the source can continue to know and experience source's self. Because we are all a part of this creation, each of our lived experiences is a deepening consciousness of all living kind. And frankly, our individual lifetimes are so small in comparison to the incomprehensible bigness of the universe itself and I find it very hard to accept that my one life is the only experience of consciousness that I'll ever have. I prefer to believe that I came into this life to learn what I could 
And so I could return to the great source of it all and prepare to live a new incarnation all over again, taking the whispers of my lifetimes previous with me into the next life. And that's why you've got to do your soul work. It's a frequent experience of hospice care workers that their patients in the last days of their lives urgently unburden themselves to the nurses and CNAs and chaplains and social workers who attend to them. And I myself, as a former hospital chaplain who walked with people at the end of their days, can attest to the truth of this. People who are aware of their urgently impending death might find themselves spiritually and emotionally unsettled, confronting years-kept secrets or feelings of regret and guilt and shame. Those who work in hospice are trained to listen to and to hold the secrets that their patients tell them in their final days. Those who work in end-of-life care recognize that carrying the hurts and the mistakes and the shames of our lives into our death can cause deep psychic pain, and that space should be made to listen given the urgency at which the dying share their secrets. And so, even if you don't ascribe to the idea that our souls may live lives beyond the life we're living now, even if reincarnation sounds ludicrous to you, the idea that the experiences and feelings that burden us most in our lifetimes are best attended to in this lifetime seems like a relatively easy idea to accept the merit of. Soul work is hard work. It's the work of disentangling our biggest personal struggles, addressing the whys, correcting the patterns, and healing. Sometimes people find it worse to worry the wound than to properly attend to it. And so things become neglected or ignored or diminished. But I think resisting the work of healing causes a lot more harm than willingly submitting to the pain of the healing process. So how do we determine what our personal soul work is? We do this by examining our family histories, by identifying patterns within your own life, and by examining our most significant relationships. If I remain open to the possibility of the incarnational nature of our souls, then it makes sense that my incarnations may occur in tandem with the incarnations of other people who I am encountering in this lifetime. Perhaps your mother has been your mother for a thousand incarnations before this. Perhaps there are people we encounter in our lives who are placed there to urge us to do the work we committed to in our soul contracts before this incarnation began. These people are likely our immediate family, our parents, our siblings, our eventual life partners. These people are also the nuclear family that we create, our life partners and our children, our dearest friends, and 
certainly our animal companions. Souls that tend to travel in the same pack, reincarnating together so that the whole of the soul family can attend to their lifetime soul work together. But here's something really important to remember. Just because a person in your life is meant to assist you in doing your soul work does not mean that they are meant to be in your life forever. Romantic partners are often good examples of this. A lot of you know that I'm divorced. My ex-husband and I were together for 10 years. And there were many years of our lives together where despite ultimately unsurmountable challenges, I convinced myself into believing that we were meant to stick together and that the sticking together was the lesson of the relationship. But really, the lesson was the leaving. This can be true for other relationships in our lives as well. Consider the seasonality of some of our friendships. The friends we make as children are often not the same friends we have all our lives. Sometimes, and it's very special when it is the case, we have the same best friend that we've had since kindergarten. But also we have the friends or companions we know for only a few years when we live in a certain place or in the early years of parenthood or when we're away at college, during particular seasons of our lives. Those friends may have offered pivotal lessons or experiences while we knew each other intimately, but often those people fade out of our lives as the seasons of our lives begin to shift. Sometimes the biggest lesson is in the leaving. Truly, none of us knows what happens after we die. And as Unitarian Universalists, we're not in the business of making grand decrees about what definitely is or is not immutably true about our spiritual selves. But our mortality is a major, major source of our individual and collective anxiety. And I personally am comforted by the idea that perhaps what I fail to do in this life may be offered up to me in the next. But I have no guarantee that this is the truth of what actually is. And yet for me, as I engage in the work of becoming a better Unitarian Universalist and a better minister and a better friend and partner and daughter, it is reassuring to consider that I am healing the traumas experienced by previous generations of my family of origin. And I have a lot of generational trauma in my family of origin while also healing and expanding the wisdom of my own soul, should it carry on into another incarnation at another time. For me, it is comforting to address my own growing pains from the lens of soul work. And so I am attending to what holds me back now in this lifetime, lest I carry it over into the next where perhaps the lessons will be even more painful and more arduous because of my unwillingness to lean into the work of healing in my previous lifetimes. 
It is also comforting and empowering to me when I examine the most important and significant relationships in my life. And as I try to heal and to strengthen them, to think that the souls of my kin are souls that have been familiar to me for perhaps thousands of lifetimes before this one. Perhaps my mother has been my mother for a thousand lifetimes before this. And perhaps she will be in the thousands of lifetimes to come. For me, soul work is healing work, and I really want to do the work. If this idea of reincarnational soul work is compelling to you, I suggest spending some time over the next several days reflecting on what you believe your soul work might be within this lifetime. Are you perhaps called to heal a fractured relationship in your life? Perhaps one with an adult child or a sibling or even an old friend? Are you called to create or to invent and to industriously build and make things better? Are you called to release old patterns of behaving or thinking that have caused you and others in your life harm? What must be healed in order for you to be your best possible self so that you can live more freely, more graciously, and with more joy and love in your heart? How might engaging in your soul work help you to be more sensitive and more compassionate to the challenges of others. It is immensely unlikely that you landed in the incarnation that you landed in in this lifetime. And it is just as likely that you could be living another life than the one that you're living now. And so every time that we encounter another person and we experience judgmental thoughts about the choices or the behaviors that they exhibit in your own life, it can be pretty grounding to recognize that it's just as likely that you could be them as they could have been you and on and on and on. And so sometimes doing our own soul work can really increase the compassion that we have for other people that we encounter. I urge you, if this sounds meaningful to you, to discern what no longer serves you in terms of the patterns and behaviors in your life, to release them and to heal beyond them. All of this is possible, even if it is hard. May your soul find comfort in its work, in this incarnation and in whatever incarnation may come after it. May it be so, because we make it so. Amen, and blessed be. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org and you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU.
We welcome visitors to attend our online services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.